Amen. What a great time of worship we've already had this morning. So good to see you. You glad to be in the Lord's house? Amen. Happy New Year. I count it a great honor to be here. I love you, Pastor, and thank God for he and his precious wife. And certainly I'm praying for them to uh, recover quickly. But I am so grateful for the opportunity to be with you today. I feel like I'm already a part of this church just because of some connections that I have here. Uh, I, I, Jonathan and Kayla Canada over here are my cousins, and uh, they're part of this church. And Tim Key is a friend from 100 years ago. And here's a name that you might remember, Greg Stringfield. Does anybody remember that name? Greg was my executive pastor when I was up in Kingsport, Tennessee. So I just feel like I got connection, but let me go a little further. I got a text last night from one of my coworkers who was bragging on what a great church this is, fellow by the name of Kevin Minchie. You ever heard of him? And uh, he sends his love and said, you're going to have a great time. So I feel like I already know you and am a part of this church and love you and thank God for you. And from the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board, thank you for giving to the cooperative program and to the Golden Offering for Tennessee Missions. We are unapologetic about the fact that we're trying to win Tennessee for Jesus Christ. And thank you that we can work together to do that. I am thrilled today to have my sweet wife with me, Gerilyn. She's sitting down here on the front row. We've been married for 29 and a half years. It's a half now, almost. Uh, this year we'll be married 30 years. You, I know, I know, I don't look that old. I understand. It is so good to be here. If you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 10. Romans Chapter 10, I'm going to begin to read in verse 1. Brother Zach, what a great time of worship. Thank you so much. Amen. I, I like to be in worship that's alive. You know what I mean? Because we're worshiping, a, we're worshiping a living God. We ought to be alive in our worship to him. Amen. Hey, I just want to help you here. You will not interrupt me with amen today. Amen. I, matter of fact, I preach quicker when I hear some amens. Amen. That usually gets an amen. But nonetheless, Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, and I want to invite you to stand with me in reverence to the Word of God. Romans 10, beginning in verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Let's pray. Father, thank you Thank you for the great privilege of being here in your house. Thank you for a new year that you have given to us. And God, I pray today as we have gathered here for this time to worship your holy name, Lord, that we would continue now to worship you through your word. God, I pray it would please you today to preach to us. God, we need to hear from heaven no one came to hear what Rock Collins has to say, but Lord, we've all come to hear what King Jesus has to say. 
Lord, I pray you would just dismiss me and set me to the side and let us hear from heaven. God, I pray it would please you to preach to the end that somebody would get saved today. Somebody's life will be changed. Lord, somebody's burden will be lifted. You know every heart, every need. Preach to us today, I pray. And Lord, I would that all the praise, honor, and glory might be credited to Jesus. For it's in his name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, I turned on the news for just a moment as I was drinking a cup of coffee. And they happened to have a statistic up about church attendance in America. The most recent Pew research that I saw in the news today said that right at 25% of Americans attend church weekly. Right at 25%. I know with the pandemic that we've been through, there's been a lot of change, and I know that we have ways of having worship uh, via the Internet and online and on TV and so forth and so on, and those are great. I'm all for them. But is it not staggering to any of you to think that less than a fourth of Americans go to church weekly? Let me bring it on home for you. In Tennessee, we have almost 7 million residents. And we are quickly approaching 4 million that are lost without Jesus Christ. Do you know that in Tennessee, the most recent statistics I have tell us that 56% of Tennesseans are lost without Jesus. How do you determine who falls in that category? Those who have no church affiliation and have no faith that they state they have. So over half of Tennessee is lost without Jesus. Does that bother you? Because it bothers me. I said it bothers me. And all across our state, there are lost folks. Some of you say, well, I witnessed somebody this week, and they were saved. Great, try one more. Because one out of every two Tennesseans are lost without Jesus. Our world is in a mess. I said our world's in a mess. And it's not from a pandemic. It's from sin sickness. And folk don't need to be healed of sin sickness. They need to be given life because they are dead in their trespasses and sin. I never dreamed I'd see the day where sin was celebrated in the street. I said celebrated. It's not just saying, oh, I'm a sinner. It's celebrating that people are sin. People are made to be heroes because they stand up and proclaim their abominable acts toward God. What's wrong with this society? Ladies and gentlemen, our world is lost. And so I came today to simply ask you a question, which I'll take for my title, what to do with a lost world? What to do with a lost world? The Apostle Paul felt this kind of a burden in his day. He was concerned in first century about the lostness that he saw around him. That's why we remember him as one of the greatest missionaries ever because he went far and wide telling the good news of Jesus Christ to both Jew and Gentile because he believed Jesus could save anybody. 
And so I suggest to you today that we take his strategy and perhaps use it ourselves. First of all, what are we going to do with the lost world? Let's do what Paul did in verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. First of all, and the first thing we need to do for a lost world is we need to pray. I said we need to pray. I said we need to pray. Prayer is hard work. I said prayer is hard work. We've got to get serious about praying for a lost world. The Apostle Paul said, my heart's desire, it was so near and dear to him, it was the innermost part of his being that he was concerned for lostness, and the Bible said he was praying that Israel would be saved. Who was Israel? That was his people. And Paul said, I'm burdened for my people. Ladies and gentlemen, we ought to be burdened for a lost world, but we ought to start right here at home. And we ought to first be burdened for our neighbors in Shelbyville. We ought to be burdened for those who live next door down the street, a county over. We ought to be concerned right here. How are we going to ever win a lost world if we don't care about our own community? I remember... Growing up in the church, in the Baptist church, you have to forgive me. I've been a Baptist all my life for nine months before. That's all I know is Baptist, all right? So I'll not be getting on anybody else. I don't know them, okay? But I know growing up in the Baptist church, we used to have prayer meeting. I said we had prayer meeting. It was even in our bulletin, prayer meeting on Wednesday night. There's a lot of folks who still say they have prayer meeting. They just meet. I'm fearful, and I've pastored a number of Baptist churches. I'm fearful that many of our prayer meetings have become gossip hour with a prayer tagged on at the end. Well, we ought to pray for so-and-so. You know, she running around on her husband. That's not a prayer request we need to have verbalized. Just tell the Lord. You're just gossiping. I'm leaving in a few minutes, okay? Don't get mad and leave yet. I'll be gone, all right? Hey. I'm just telling you that we ought to get serious about prayer. I remember when the longest prayer list was not who was sick, but who was dead in their trespass and sin and lost. How many lost folk do you have on your prayer list? How often do we spend an hour praying for lost people? How concerned are we for lost people? Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you something. God answers prayer. I said, God answers prayer. My wife and I have just experienced the mighty move of God in our lives. We've been praying for some things for a long time, specifically, and God has answered. I'm telling you, he's faithful. I came today to tell you he's faithful to answer. Do we at least pray for lost folk? And listen to this. We always say we ought to pray in God's will, and I believe that. We ought to pray in God's will. You will never pray for somebody to be saved that it's not God's will for them to be saved. That's what the Bible says. I, I mean, I'm, I didn't write the book. I'm just a paper boy. Are y'all listening? The Bible said he's not willing that any should perish. So it's God's will for people to be saved. Well, why don't they get saved? Because some people choose not to accept him. But it's God's will. You're always praying in God's will when you're praying for people to be saved. You praying for somebody to be saved? Do you know somebody? That's part of our problem. We don't know lost people anymore. Well, I hang around with good church folk. Well, amen. Bless your heart. Isn't that special? Half the world's going to hell. 
and you don't even know a lost person, I think we might need to go back and study under that great theologian, Garth Brooks. Had a little song called, Got Friends in Low Places. Maybe we need some friends in low places so we can introduce them to King Jesus. And before you look down your long hypocritical nose at me, let me help you with something. They, they accuse Jesus rightfully of having friends in low places. They said he hangs out with, with the likes of prostitutes and demon-possessed folk. Why? He even has lunch with tax collectors. Do you even know anybody lost? Maybe we're not praying for anybody lost because we don't know anybody lost. I've, I've got somebody I'm praying for who's lost. I called them by name today and asked God to save them. I'm praying and believing God's going to bring them to faith in himself. Why do we not pray anymore for lost folks? Perhaps we don't know them. I remember as a boy going to prayer room, I, I, I remember the, the church. My dad was a pastor, and we, we moved to a new church. I was uh, a teenager, and uh, we moved to a new church. And the first revival in the church, he was going to preach. He was the new pastor. He said, if we're going to have a revival, I'm going to preach the first revival. And so we, we started out having a revival, and we had men's prayer room and women's prayer room. Anybody ever been to those? About two of us, amen. And so we'd have men's prayer room and women's prayer room before the service would start. And I remember going into men's, I learned a lot about how to pray in men's prayer room, amen. I don't know, I don't know if y'all ever been, but now in, in the men's prayer room, somebody would be called on to pray and they'd say, Lord, and then it was a free-for-all. Everybody was praying out loud. Have y'all ever been there? Amen. Bless your heart. It'll help you. And so I learned if you're called on to pray, you better get a good deep breath because you're going to have to out-pray everybody to get to say amen. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, and so I, <laughs> are y'all with me? Amen. Okay. And so we're praying. And I remember coming in one night and, and people saying, Charlie's here. Charlie's here. I'm like, well, amen. Who's Charlie? <laughs> I don't know. Who's, I haven't been here long. I'm a teenager. We're new at the church. Charlie's here. Well, great. Amen. We go in the prayer room. They're praying for Charlie. Oh, Charlie's here. Well, great. Who is Charlie? Nobody told me who Charlie was. And so we get to the invitation that night and God has moved in a mighty way. And this fella sitting about four or five rows back gets up, walks the aisle, grabs my daddy. They get down there and get to praying for a minute, get happy and get up. And he stands up and my daddy says, this is Charlie. And the place went nuts because Charlie had just gotten saved. Amen. You know why they were so excited? They've been praying for Charlie for more than 20 years. You talk about shouting. I, I know it's not very dignified. But we were shouting. The church was shouting. It was on fire because Charlie got saved. And they had invent. Listen, they were invested in his salvation because they'd been praying for him. I'm, I'm burdened today that when somebody does get saved in our churches, often it feels like putting a baby in a refrigerator because we're so cold and indifferent and we ought to be excited about somebody getting saved. But sadly to say, we, we don't experience that excitement enough because we don't invest ourselves in people coming to know Christ. What are we going to do with this lost world? 
I submit to you first, we ought to pray for them. I said we ought to pray for them. We're never going to be motivated and moved to do something to reach them if we don't invest in having some prayer time for them. What to do with a lost world? We ought to be burdened enough to pray. Secondly, we need to see them where they are. I said we need to see them where they are. You know, what I find in this lost world, it's so easy to condemn folks that are lost, isn't it? It is. It's easy. As a Christian, you say, well, I don't do that. I can't believe they're doing that. I mean, and we look down our nose at them and we are so quick to judge them. But we need to start seeing a lost world where they are. Look what the Bible said in verse 2. I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. The apostle Paul said, I look around at this lost world that I'm living in, my people, that I'm concerned for, and they have a zeal. They have an enthusiasm. They have a devotion to God, but it's not according to knowledge. In other words, they are putting on a perception for others to see that they know God, but they really don't even know it. Let me use another word. They are religious. And Paul's people knew about being religious. I mean, they, they would let their prayer shawls be seen because that showed how spiritual they were. How often do we put our religiosity on like a coat and want everybody to see how religious we are? Ladies and gentlemen, you can be religious about eating. Being religious doesn't mean much. Having a relationship with Jesus means something. I was talking to a young man a man in our church had invited him to come, and uh, he, was, he was a rough-looking dude. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he was a rough-looking dude. I'll just leave it at that. And uh, he brought him back. Pastor, I want you to meet this friend I brought to church. And I was a little scared. You know, I'm like, is security around here or something? And so I meet him, and I start talking to him, and I'm led of the Spirit to ask him. I said, hey, do, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And he looked at me so serious, and he said, I'm not into that religion stuff. And I looked at him and said, me either. I said, but I am into relationship. Our world is tired of empty religion that brings no fulfillment or satisfaction in life. And they are longing for relationship that only comes through Jesus Christ. Paul said, my people have a zeal. They've got a, they've got a devotion of some kind on some level. They look like they are right, but they don't know God. This is, that's what he said. They have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. So they don't know him. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the world we're living in today. I think he just wrote this this morning. It's that applicable, isn't it? We live in a world, listen, when somebody dies, I'm, I'm amazed. When somebody of fame and notoriety dies, everybody always puts them in heaven and they're looking down. Listen, it's like if a second baseman on a baseball team dies, they're like, oh, God just needed a second baseman. God didn't need no second baseman. Are you crazy? If somebody in the, the music industry dies who played a trumpet, well, God just needed somebody to play the trumpet in the band in heaven. No, he didn't. Are you crazy? And one of my personal favorites, well, so-and-so has become an angel. Yeah. Hello? What? 
That's not biblical. Ladies and gentlemen, can I just give you a little help right here? And when you die, you're not going to become an angel. None of you are angels now. Okay, none of us are angels now. Amen? And we're not going to become one. Angels are created heavenly beings for God's purpose. We, we get confused about that sometimes. We are so different than that. We're made lower than the angels. Hello? They're created heavenly beings. And we get confused because we say, well, somebody gets saved. We say, well, the angels are rejoicing. That's not even what the Bible says. The Bible says there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels. You ever read it? Go back and read it. There's rejoicing. Why would the angels be rejoicing? They're not the ones rejoicing. It's the saints of God in the presence of the angels who are rejoicing. See, an angel doesn't know what it's like to be lost in the muck and the mire of sin. But we do. Lord, that's a whole other message. I'm going to have to move on. I'm just saying, ladies and gentlemen, understand, understand that we don't need more religion. We need more relationship that rightly divides the word of truth. And so the apostle Paul goes on to continue to speak about those who have a devotion, a zeal, an outward expression to God, but they don't know him. Verse 3 said, for they being ignorant... Hold on now, I'm going to get to the next part, but i got to stop right there with ignorant. I know I'm in Middle Tennessee, so I'm trying to dress it up ignorant. Because in East Tennessee, where I live and pastor for so long, we just say ignorant. They're just like, it's just barely more than one syllable. Ignorant. Ignorant. Okay, amen. And so I'm trying to, you know, dress it up and be right. So, so he said they are ignorant. Can I just help you with ignorance before I tell you what they're ignorant about? Ignorant, there's nothing wrong with being ignorant. There's nothing wrong with being ignorant. There is something wrong with staying ignorant. Do you know what it means to be ignorant? Here's the definition of ignorance. You ready? Not knowing. That's simply what. Somebody, look, don't look at me like that. Every one of you who have children looked at your children at some point and said, you ignorant. And you were right. They didn't know. That's why God put them in your house so you could teach them. Amen? And so don't just condemn them for being ignorant. They don't know. Okay? It's okay to be ignorant. But it's not okay to stay ignorant. Okay? So the Apostle Paul said that these who were showing this religiosity and they didn't know God, he said they are ignorant of what? Of God's righteousness. Now, what does it mean to be righteous? Look at me, and I'll illustrate it for you. I, I think a visual is awful good, don't you? A picture's worth a thousand words, they say. So, would you like to see righteous? Watch this, watch this. You want to see it again? <laughs> Come on, let's try. Got it? I've just done it about three times. Are you done? Are you got it? Do you know what righteous means? Literally, in the basis of meanings, it means to be upright. <laughs> That's what the word righteous means. But the Apostle Paul was not talking about being upright. He said they are ignorant of God's righteousness. So do you understand the significance of that? Well, let me help you. Who can stand upright in the presence of holy, holy, holy God? 
If you're righteous in God's righteousness, you can stand upright in the presence of holy, holy, holy God. And guess who can do that? None of us. I said, none of us. I said, none of us. The Bible said there is none righteous, no, not one. Let, let me help you. Some of y'all say, well, when I die, I'm just going to walk up and I'm going to ask the Lord. No, you're not. Have you lost your mind? In the Revelation chapter 1, the Bible said John saw the Lord on the Isle of Patmos and he did what? He fell on his face as though he were a dead man. Why? Because his unrighteousness was revealed in the presence of holy, holy, holy God. And Paul said, this lost world that I'm living in, they are ignorant to God's righteousness. Watch this. They're going about to establish their own righteousness. So see, the whole point in their religiosity was to say, I'm trying to promote myself to be good enough so that I look righteous in the eyes of God. Ladies and gentlemen, if we ever lived in that day, it's today. Because what do people say? Well, I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. Here's what a lost world loves to say. Well, I'm as good as they are, talking about people that go to church. As a pastor, it always troubled me when I would meet somebody and they'd say they work such and such place. And I'd say, well, do you know so-and-so? Say, yeah, I work with him. I said, well, he goes to my church. And they look at me and say, he goes to church. A lost world ought to see something different about those who know Jesus. And I often tell folks who say, well, pastor, you know, who lost folks, they'll say, well, pastor, I'm as good as you. <laughs> they say, well, that's great. That'll get you to hell. Because I'm not the standard. I said, I'm not the standard. Ladies and gentlemen, you're not the standard. We're trying to be righteous in the eyes of holy, holy, holy God. Paul said, this lost world that I'm in, they have a religiosity, they have a devotion to God, but they don't know him because they're ignorant. Listen, they're ignorant of God's righteousness and trying to prove each one themselves to be righteous. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible tells us that our righteousness is like filthy rags. Ladies and gentlemen, you nor I will ever be good enough to call ourselves righteous in the eyes of God. Do you believe that? A lost world doesn't understand that. And we need to see them where they are. Quit condemning them and start showing them what a difference Jesus can make. Do you hear what I'm saying? We need to see a lost world where they are. They are ignorant to God's righteous. You and I recognize that in and of ourselves, we could never be righteous. Right? They don't understand that. They think, a lost world thinks they can be good enough. 
What are we going to do with this lost world? I submit we need to see them where they are. They are ignorant to righteousness. They don't understand. So what does it say at the latter part of verse 3? They have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. The reason they are only showing religiosity and a devotion and not a knowledge of God is because they've never submitted to him. Because the first part of verse 4 said, for Christ is the end of the law. For righteousness. See, you understand that in the Old Testament we had the law, and the law revealed man's unrighteousness. The law revealed that man could never be good enough in and of himself. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus, the one and only son of God, who came and died on a cross and shed his blood so that we could experience the righteousness of God, not in and of ourselves, but through Jesus the Christ. See, you and I cannot be righteous in and of ourselves, but God knew that. That's why he sent Jesus, amen? We just celebrated the birth of Jesus. You know what I'm talking about. When God stepped out of heaven and stepped into the dressing room of Mary's womb and came fashioned as a man so that he could grow and live and be tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin, stretch out his arms, nails pierce his hands and his feet, a spear pierce his side, a crown of thorns pierce his brow, and on the cross of Calvary shed his life's blood so that your sins and mine could be forgiven. Three days later, rose from the dead, and he said, if you believe that, I'll save you, and I will make you righteous. See, See, let me see if I can explain it like this. When God looked at me, he looked at me and said, I'm gonna check his righteous account, and he found it was bankrupt. I was overdrawn with no hope of ever fixing it. And one day as a boy, I got on my knees and I said, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need a savior and I choose Jesus. I was just a boy. I was one month before my sixth birthday. Look at me. Come on, look at me. I know some of y'all there, no way a five-year-old could know what it means to be saved. You could not understand the depths of salvation. Soteriology is so beyond a five-year-old. And I submit to you, you are exactly right. I did not understand everything there was to know. I did not completely grasp soteriology. That's the doctrine of salvation. I did not totally understand how God would come in flesh and die on the cross for my sin and rise from the dead on the third day and then extend grace enough to say, no, I didn't understand. But what I did understand is I was lost. You know what I've learned? You can't get saved until you realize you're lost. Because if you're not lost, you don't need to be saved. Amen, Rock. Go ahead and help yourself. And so that day, amen, that day I got on my knees and I said, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And I choose Jesus. And I believe you died for my sin. I believe you rose from the dead. Come into my heart and be Lord of my life. And that day God heard my prayer. And he looked into my righteous account, which was bankrupt. And he reached back into his righteous account, which was full and overflowing. And he made a withdrawal so he could make a deposit into my so he could make a deposit in, somebody ought to help. So he could make a deposit into my account and he robed me with his righteousness and I stand before you in and of myself unrighteous, but in Jesus Christ I am righteous before God himself because of who Jesus is and what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. 
wondering, I want you to know nearly 50 years later, I still don't understand all the depths of soteriology. I'm just glad he still saves. Amen. Glory to God for a God who saved. Man alive, y'all ought to just help me a little bit. I'm about to get happy here. Hold on now. So what are we going to do with the lost world? What are we going to do? We got to be burdened enough to pray. Secondly, we need to see them where they are. They're lost in their ignorance of unrighteousness. But then finally, what do we need to do with the lost world? We got to point them to Jesus. I said, we've got to point them to Jesus. I said, we got to point them to Jesus. Amen. You, you getting it. If I repeat, I'm hunting some help, right? Amen. We got to point them to Jesus. Verse four, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believeth. Ladies and gentlemen, the only way to know the righteousness of God is by faith in Jesus Christ. That's what the book teaches us. So what are we going to do with the lost world? We need to see them where they are. We need to pray for them, but we need to point them to Jesus because he is the only answer. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not another government program. It's not another buyout. It's not something that will change in our society. It's Jesus the Christ is the only one who can make a difference in a lost soul. He's the only one that can change a lost world. We need to point them to Jesus. When do we point them to Jesus? Who do we point to Jesus? How do we, any way you can point, and who do we point to Jesus? Everybody we come in contact, and when do we point to Jesus? All the time I submit. Listen, when the anti-Christian activities are occurring all around us as they are today, point them to Jesus. When blasphemy of our Lord is heard, point them to Jesus. When chaos and confusion is all around us, point them to Jesus. When destruction and division is being propagated, point them to Jesus. When evil is exalted, point them to Jesus. When there's fighting in the streets, point them to Jesus. When the God-haters are hating, the liars are lying, the sinners are sinning, point them to Jesus. When the devil is instigating, point them to Jesus. When killing people is considered okay. Be it the senior adult, the man in the street, or the baby in the womb, point them to Jesus. When lies are told as truth and truth is told as lies, point them to Jesus. When men and women don't know what gender they are, point them to Jesus. When the whole world seems obstinate toward the gospel of Jesus Christ, point them to Jesus. When the priorities of society are anti-righteous, point them to Jesus. When the ruthless and ridiculous are doing all the talking, point them to Jesus. In the midst of a sinful people, point them to Jesus. When times are tumultuous, unrighteousness reigns and virtue is extinguished, point them to Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, I submit to you that we cannot change this world. We cannot fix all of our society's ills. We cannot make people see truth. But we can point them to Jesus. And not only can we, we must point them to Jesus. Well, I don't have all the answers. I, I, I don't have, I, I'm not even close to having all the answers. But this answer I know, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We need to recognize, help folks realize that they're sinners without the Lord. They need him. They believe and confess that Jesus is Lord. God raised him from the dead on the third day. They need to ask him to come into their heart. 
be Lord of their life. Ladies and gentlemen, we can point people to Jesus because Jesus is the answer. Well, what's the question? Jesus is the answer. I read the story of two men who had been condemned to die because of their crimes. They were sitting on death row. The day came that they would be executed. The guards came and got them and began to lead them to the executioner. At the same time this was happening, this case of these two men came before the king in that land. And he read their case, and he was compelled in his heart to pardon them both. So he pulled out a piece of parchment paper, and he began to write, and he wrote their names and said, you have been pardoned of all your crimes. You will not die today, but you will be set free. You are free to go, signed the king. He folded the paper, pulled out his ring, made his stamp on it, gave it to a messenger and said, hurry Take this to the executioner. And these men were there at the executioner about to die, and this letter arrived. They handed the letter to the first criminal, and he opened it and read it, saw his name, saw that he had been pardoned of all his sin, saw it was signed by the king. And he said, I can't believe somebody would play such a joke on me today. I can't believe somebody would try to trick me like this. He handed it to the next man, he read his name. He saw he was pardoned, and he saw it was signed by the king, and he began to shout, Whoa, I'm free! I'm free! I'm free! Yeah. What's the difference? The difference is really simple. The first man didn't believe the king, but the second man did. Yeah. You know what the difference in heaven and hell is? whether or not you believe the king. He sent Jesus to die on the cross and shed his blood for your sins and my sins and the sins of the whole world. He rose from the dead on the third day, and the Bible said if you believe this in your heart and confess him with your mouth, you will be saved. So what are we going to do with this lost world? We need to be burdened enough to pray. We need to see them where they are. We must point them to Jesus. This morning, if you've never met Jesus as your Lord and Savior, our minister will be at the front. I'll be here. Come take one of us by the hand and say, I want Jesus. We understand what that means. And we'd love to introduce you to him. We're just going to open the word and show you what it said there in Romans 10. If you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. On the third day, God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. We're not going to ask you to shave your head and sit in the parking lot and sell roses or nothing like that. We just want to introduce you to Jesus. Would you come? Maybe today you say, I've met Jesus, but I've never followed him in baptism. You ought to come make that commitment today. Somebody may want to join this fellowship. You say, man, I'm a part of this community. Listen, if I lived in Shelbyville, I'd come over here and join. This is a great church. Y'all have made me feel so welcome, and I'm loving being here. Maybe the Lord's leading you to be a part of this fellowship. You come. Whatever the Lord said to you to do, pray you'd do it.
for those of you who know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, point somebody to Jesus. Brother Rock, I don't know anybody lost. You ought to be the first one down this aisle to get on your knees and say, God, bring me in touch with somebody lost. You ought to pray, God, bring me in touch with somebody that's close to hell so I can tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. Some of you know some people lost. You won't just come lay them down at the altar and pray for them. I don't know what God might have said to you today. Whatever he said, you do it. Father, thank you. Thank you for your sweet Holy Spirit. Mm. Thank you that you have been with us today and that you are here now. God, I pray that you would continue to work in these moments. God, as you call people unto yourself, I pray that we would be quick to respond. This is your invitation. Have your way and divide it unto yourself, I pray. All praise to Jesus. In his name I pray.